0: I ask my students questions because I'm interested in making them think in a way that challenges their very own positions. I ask my colleagues and teachers questions not for answers, but because I'm interested in how their thinking can challenge my own conclusions. So you can say that this podcast is for me, but it is really for all of us to discover and or confirm what we have in common and what we can learn from our differences as teachers, but also as learners. Welcome to the Talking, Teaching and Flow podcast. My name is Rafan Kebe, And this is a podcast about the art and artistry of teaching and of holding space for people to find their flow and grow. I talk to experienced teachers, lecturers, and trainers of many various disciplines about what it means and what it takes to teach something we love. I ask about self-care and practice with a capital P, about learning strategies, dedication, and sacrifices, and for words of wisdom. I hope you learn something here and then get to teach it don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter by going to rafan.co.uk and remember that when one teaches, to learn.
1: In this episode of the Talking, Teaching and Flow podcast, Rafan is joined by Dr. Saida Desile, who is a counterculture creatrix body philosopher, an advocate for sexual sovereignty. Saida wants to live in a world filled with audacious, sexually sovereign women, living life on their own terms. She has written The Emergence of the Sensual Woman, followed by her newest book, Desire. Her innovative method has been featured in Dr. Christiane Northrup's best-selling books, Women's Wisdom, Women's Bodies, and The Secret Pleasure of Menopause, as well as in the books of Dr. Rachel Abrams, Multi-Orgasmic Woman, and *Bodywise*. Saida is renowned for being the founder of the modern jade egg movement and a visionary spokesperson for sexual sovereignty, and has created the Daring Project – a growing online membership of women from around the world, assisting women to audaciously move from being a victim to confidently thriving in life. Here is a conversation between Rafan and Dr. Saida Desile.
0: Saida, thank you so much for being here and talking to me.
2: Such a pleasure. I always love speaking with you, whether in person or in this format. It's usually very delightful and deep in and- almost quirky conversation because we go all kinds of places together.
0: So. Almost quirky. I like that yeah. a lot. <laughs> but look, I, I do want you to tell us about your past, and, you know, your background, where you come from, but also the fact that you became a psychologist and you've written a couple of books, your relationship towards um, desire and life and all those things. But first, I, I if I may, I'd love to read you something. Um, yes, please. Desire is our birthright. It's desire that brings us into the world. It's desire that shimmers with our last breath because desire is life. The purpose of our lives isn't fulfilment. We are born fulfilled. The purpose of our lives is to be fulfilled whole, radiant, as enlivened as life itself, dynamic, pure raw, wild, vulnerable, soft, intense, and devastating. Desire, true desire, awaits each of us, never lost, just patient. She expresses herself through a myriad of unique songs, never critical, just present. The second we turn our attention to our true desire, is the moment we ignite ourselves and come into being fully here, fully home, and fully filled with life. Wow. Where did that relationship to desire come from for you?
2: Mm. It's a deep question. I think a little bit requires some background.
0: Do tell us.
2: I was conceived on a fur coat in front of a fireplace. There was no furniture in the cabin. My parents laid the fur coat on the floor Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and uh, they both knew that that was the moment I came in. They felt it. And so I love that story because there's so much passion and so much love and just rawness that happened in, in, in the creation of me. And then fast forward to a life, um, where I was brought up, I think like a lot of people where desire is sinful or evil or the thing that causes suffering. And yet in my own home, I was allowed to be erotically innocent, free, expressed. That was very held by my parents as something, I don't think they would use the word sacred, but that's what it could be looked at, how Mm -hmm. they held the space very openly, very lovingly. And then fast forward to early 20s, when I was told I had two weeks to live. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And when you're 20 and you're told you have two weeks to live, it's a massive shock because you think you're immortal at that age. You don't think of mortality. Mm -hmm. And having to face death made me come to a place where life was so precious, so exquisite, And because I defied my surgeon and actually chose to live and here I am, you know, a long time after (laughs) um, it, that's where the relationship with desire began, but I didn't know it was desire, Mm -hmm. but there was a claiming of life is important and I will defy all things in order to breathe, in order to be here. And then the exploration began and I wasn't satisfied with the spiritual ideas around desire. I wasn't even satisfied with the philosophical ideas around desire. Uh, I definitely wasn't satisfied with how uh, at least the society where I was growing up in Canada was dealing Mm -hmm. with desire. And even, you know, Buddhism kept, there was a lot of Buddhists in Vancouver. So this whole idea, desire is suffering. it, It didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I felt like if we didn't have desire, no one would do anything. We'd just be sloths. We wouldn't even be motivated in any way. So it was unfathomable that this thing was bad. But the reverence that you're feeling is something that has been born, I'd say more in the last decade of deep, deep work with women, deep work. I also worked with men prior. Uh, So work with people and realizing that up until maybe even 10 years ago, we didn't speak about desire in uh, sexual therapy. We talked Mm -hmm. about function. It's only really in the last decade that desire and the loss of desire and the, say, the shadow side of desire started to come up in, in therapy. So I became a psychologist, not because I wanted to be a psychologist. I became a psychologist because I knew I had to have a PhD to get my ideas listened to by professionals
1: Mm. and
2: um, the way in which I lived my life and all of my training, a psychology degree became obvious to be like the best fit. Uh, So, and then actually I learned to think through having to do a research degree. Mm. I learned to have a critical mind. I learned to do research and so when I come to desire, it's not just a frivolous experience of it. It's a, It's been a very profound experience. And now it's something I uh, revere almost as though it's a, how would you say, a divine mm-hmm. essence that exists, a force of nature, because I love nature.
0: Yeah. Yes, I hear that. And, and reading and listening through your book as well, it very much felt to me as if you were referring to desire as a goddess
1: mm. to
0: be both respected, but also at times, you know, obeyed.
1: Mm. And,
0: and I love that, that phrase, you know, soft, intense, and devastating.
1: You Knowing yeah.
0: full well that there's a power there that um, understandably can be scary for some of us, if not the vast majority of the planet. Nevertheless, I, I believe, similar to you, I'm sure that if we work on, on harnessing this power, we can do some really, really good stuff with it.
1: Um, mm.
2: Yes, I agree. And and I have this sense, and maybe we'll get there in the conversation, but because I see it as the visceral voice of our own essence, when you experience desire, it's as though it's the way your own essence is, is getting your attention through the, the physicality of your being. So we feel it sometimes as an ache or a yearning or a throbbing or a thrumming or however it shows up and it's getting our attention. And I feel that when we, uh, we can discern between the authentic desire and then know what a hijack one is, so we can get into that later.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's something unique and raison d'être that everybody has that then gets to be expressed in the world. And it could be simple. Maybe you're just a shoe polish person and that's your amazing presence and you heal people by your presence. It doesn't have to be an extraordinary thing, but it's the thing you're drawn to doing. And because you're drawn to do it, there's a gift there. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I, I believe that all of us, because there's so much apathy and we're not attuned to our true desires, we're following these hijacked ones. The world is missing out on a lot of genius, a lot of beauty and a lot of genius. So that was one of the reasons I wrote the book, was to try and kindle people. Like, like it's, we must relate with this. We can't ignore it anymore. It's it's almost like this urgency that I feel around it.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I think there's a strong correlation with movement, actually, because, as you know, I, I coach m- movement and yoga in particular. And um, I found myself saying to a lot of people that I mentor that movement liberates but also movement threatens Mm. somehow and we keep having to balance um, our relationship towards that the conditioning that we have received
2: yeah and i i I think that in a way movement is the non-verbal way in which desire can come forward you know Mm -hmm. just whether it's a desire to hug or a desire to run or a desire to rest. Like there's all kinds of movements that are initiated through the body that has a wisdom. Um, that, and then we at- attempt to, you know, modulate that or edit that. Um, and so then we go off rhythm. We don't sleep when we're tired. We don't drink when we're thirsty. We don't eat when we're hungry. We, we set these weird times or these weird rhythms and the body's like, but I'm not hungry right now. Okay. Or I'm
0: not tired right now or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I often desire inspiration. And I say that because for a little while I, I equated desire to inspiration and then I started to actually make a bit of a distinction between one and the other in the sense that I, my desire is to be inspired to mm. the point where I get bored fairly easy, so on and so forth. But I, I, I have this, this want to be inspired and I desire this to the point where I have a, a note on my wall in front of me right now that says, make friend with boredom. And, um, and I find myself now desiring
1: mm. times
0: where I find myself bored and I've got something to work with. So what I'm trying to say is that um, I understood a while back that uh, if you're trying to transcend something, the last thing you want to do is actually get rid of it.
2: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's actually the point usually where there's a lot of power and creative juice, for example, you know, a lot of people like I I have too much anger, I need to get rid of my anger I'm like well, but there's a reason it's there. And if you get rid of it, you're getting rid of yourself. So when you do that, there's going to be more anger. Mm -hmm. So instead, why don't we like, bring it in close and have relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And that's when the real transformation starts to happen. Uh, the real beauty, at least what I've noticed in the very deep work around sexuality because there can be a lot of rage and anger that come up with, yeah. with this topic, um, pushing it away and trying to get rid of it or even being that cathartic with it is a way of discharging it rather than really claiming the experience of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I ask you about your work with people? Because my assumption is that there's a lot of resentment and coming to a place where someone seeks mm-hmm. out your help you have to obviously break down their relationship to their own desire, their own pre um, conception and judgment upon what they themselves desire. And not to say that you have a step by step, but what do you normally start the conversation with? What do you normally start the work with?
2: Mm. It always begins with creating a sense of safety, mm. and that's uh, done with my words, but also my presence, but then also having people come into that themselves. So they're following a set of instructions where for a moment, I just have them breathe and imagine that around them, uh, we're creating kind of like this, this safe zone, this sovereign space that's only theirs and only what they desire can come into that space and everything else for this moment will remain on the outside of that space and that their voice matters, whatever sensation experience they have is welcome, especially the difficult ones are welcome. And we just really set that up first. That's primary. I find if we don't hold a container,
1: mm-hmm.
2: especially in this area, then it's, uh, we don't get as deep. I like to go deep because that's mm-hmm. where the, the good stuff is. It's un- <laughs> in the underbelly of what's happening, not on the surface and what we're complaining about.
0: Yeah, and am I right in thinking that deep on the belly doesn't, in relation to desire, doesn't necessarily always lead to talking about sex?
2: Um, This is a strange thing. Everyone thinks I'm constantly, you know, giving sex advice and sex Mm -hmm. positions and orgasm, but I actually address. So my speciality is um, I'm a transpersonal psychologist, but I specialize in psychosexuality, Mm -hmm. and so what I look at is everything that's inhibiting the psyche that then if the psyche is clogged with ideas, beliefs, definitions, patterns, then the libido, the, the aliveness has no place to move, but it actually just wants to move. When we clear that uh, space, the psychosexual space, it's amazing what comes online. You don't need a lot of techniques. So that's the first thing. And so definition creates reality tends to be a place that I will also start with people where how do they define themselves? How are they defining sex? How are they defining pleasure? Um, All these different things, relationship, what they're expecting from others. And very quickly, they start to look and see that most of their definitions were adopted,
1: Mm.
2: unquestionably adopted. Most of them are outdated. And the definitions that would make sense now are terrifying for them, even though they... They can see it because am I truly allowed to define my world in -hmm. this way?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So then it's more the encouragement of exploring, I call it possibility instead of just like what we know, but entering that realm of not knowing of what's possible and naming it. And that's also the process for great sex is are we able to enter that mystery and to move towards what we desire in that mysterious moment? -hmm. Without clutching to it, without it having to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest part, I think, of my work is to have people start to really trust their bodies, their hearts, and their desire.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I like to think that uh, we as human beings are the sum of the stories that we tell about ourselves. And um, I can so imagine. If you are stuck in um, a certain realm of stories that you've been telling both to yourself but also to others as to what your psychosexual being is, what that being does, doesn't, um, to disturb that story must require quite a bit of work. Hence, you know, the need for someone like yourself to come in for a bit of coaching to enable someone, to enable people to reinvent themselves to an extent, rewrite their stories.
2: Yes, I find probably the biggest challenge right now that I'm seeing that's coming up with especially younger uh, women, younger people mm. is has to do with they'll have they'll go ahead and have sex, but then I ha- call it the shame hangover the next day. I see. And so that's something we need to have a look at because if you're actually able, a lot of people are not able to have sex. They have sh- so much shame, they don't do it. But mm. for those who actually do it and they actually even enjoy it, But then the next day, they're just, or even right after the orgasm, immediately go into a shame hangover. That's the part that I'm really curious about. That's the part that I want to unpack and help uh, shift because uh, I think if we do that, then there's a liberation, there's a freedom, there's a softness.
0: Can we go into orgasm and what you've noticed, the associated shame that comes with it? It it sounds like... uh almost a contradiction, right? Uh, we, we associate orgasm with something joyful and good to receive or to give or simply to be yes. And yet we as um, simple yet very complicated human beings can as- actually associate that with so many other things that can be referred to as guilt. Can we delve into, into that? Yeah,
2: one? absolutely. I mean, again, it's going to come down to definition creates reality. So not everyone has the same definition.
0: Yeah.
2: However... Let's take one that's very common. Sex is dirty or um, enjoying sex is, just is sinful
1: mm-hmm.
2: because that is a very, very common one. So say you go through the act and you en- even enjoy it and you have an orgasm. Almost immediately afterward, the reason the shame comes in, see the purpose of shame, shame is a taught behavior. We're not born with shame. We teach children to be ashamed. We say you should mm-hmm. be ashamed of yourself. And we're always like doing, using shame to control each other. And the purpose of shame that I can see is to give people morals. So they have this way of, and that's good to have a way to guide through, you know, society and how to make choices. However, I don't think shame is that useful. I think that people inherently have a conscience and they can feel when something's on or off. So when it comes to the orgasm and then enjoying it and then immediately having a shame hangover, as I call it, because they just crash. They they, they don't even want to look at their partner. They don't want to talk about it. They just want to – some of them even have visceral experiences like they want to vomit or um, they just feel really dirty and disgusting and they need mm-hmm. to go – like, there's a lot of different ways shame can express itself. When we have a look at that, that the, the moment that I, I start asking well how are you defining that moment for you and so if, if it is disgusting of course definition creates reality so you're going to immediately start creating this reality of disgust or creating this reality of I'm a horrible person uh, because of the definition. So that's the place to interrupt the pattern interruption is looking at the definition prior to having sex hopefully (laughs) like when you're doing your own work and being with yourself and what's incredible is that when a person starts to look at their pleasure as more of a birthright or um, I start to explain this physical form that you have is designed for pleasure everything works way more optimally if you run pleasure than when you run stress it's it's a it's either stress or pleasure but Stress is not good for the system. Everything ages quickly and wears out and wears down. And there's a lot of problems if we have way too much stress. So pleasure is a way to optimize our well-being mentally, physically, and otherwise. So when they start to orient that pleasure has a greater purpose, it it also has a place in biology, Hmm. has a place in life, then you can see the change start to happen. And I usually ask them to have a little bit of a break from interacting with a partner and just become that conscious lover with themselves first. And can they do it there? Because it really, at the end of the day, it's what we bring or don't bring to Mm -hmm. an experience Mm -hmm. that creates experience. And so if we're withholding our joy, we're withholding our pleasure, or we're immediately shutting it down the second we feel it, that's what we're bringing or not bringing to the experience. And it can actually ruin marriages and relationships very Mm. quickly. And people want to have good relationships and want to have love. So that's why it's actually worth facing this quote unquote demon or this shadow in our psyche because there's a lot of gems there as well a lot of beauty can be found in the darkest places
0: Mm. and i assume with that comes an enhanced sense of worthiness
2: Mm -hmm.
0: perhaps even purpose
2: it's interesting because what i have found through inviting people to have a direct relationship with their body that somatic relationship that sensual relationship there's a journey with that. It's not automatic self-love. It's not automatic self-respect, but the more they do it as an actual physical practice where they do it every day, what they're doing is they're rewriting the neural story. And that's not necessarily spoken up front, but that's what happens with a regular physical practice, not just thinking about being a better person, but literally touching your body gently deepening the breath, consciously being with your sexual self, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and you're doing that as a practice, you're rewriting that story. And it's incredible where people can get to, even just with a simple practice of one hand on their heart, one hand either on the lower belly or genitals, and just practicing relaxing breath, like a sighing breath, and doing that when they wake up, doing that before they go to sleep. Um, doing that, even in the presence of their partner, uh, that little tiny practice is quite um, substantial.
1: Yeah.
0: Can I ask you about genders? Yeah. What we've talked about so far, I'm sure sounds like the same for pretty much everyone. All of us, male, female, and anything in between, would be able to actually go through those feelings and sensations. But what is your um, experience working with men as opposed to working with men? when it comes to psychosexual health?
2: Mm. Well, you know, it seems more cultural than gender.
0: I see. Mm.
2: So some cultures I've been to, sexuality, people openly talk about it, and both genders seem more comfortable. Yeah. Um, And then in other cultures, it seems like both are also very repressed. And even though it may appear that the male gender is more expressed sexually, there's actually a lot of repression. It's more of an act to like a bravado kind of thing. But when it comes to the bedroom, there's a lot of insecurities and there's a lot of um, dissatisfaction mm-hmm. that happens. And so I've stopped using gender when I'm teaching purely. I, I like to treat people as a human being. Mm-hmm. How you identify is, is for you, but it actually in a, on a psychosexual level doesn't seem to matter that much. Mm. It, it more matters where you're grounded in your own self. Are you centered or are you wobbly? Are you looking for external val- validation in all these labels and experiences? Mm. Or are you able to really self-validate something very weird and unique that maybe only you have mm. and be really okay with that? That's where the work is sitting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because if we are to take sexual health as a form of of self-expression, the truth of the matter is gender don't matter. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it is something very, very, both individual but also very collective that actually does away with genders altogether. Yeah. And I love that. It's a common thread that we all have, that we all have to work with, fight against love, and and at times really, really dislike.
2: Exactly. And I think the majority of us walk around disassociated with our bodies, Mm. uh, repressing deep, wilder desires that we feel we're not allowed to have or shouldn't have or shouldn't feel, Mm. not knowing what to do with our arousal if we notice it, if we notice it, because a lot of time we're aroused and we're not noticing it, especially in this case with females. Um, because for females, and I think it's done for their protection. So when you're very young, you're basically subdued sexually as a female. And this is to protect you from predators and bad things happening. However, it's not contextualized that way. So it's like it's all or nothing. Mm. So a lot of even healthy women who've never had any trauma won't notice their arousal cues, for example. This has been shown in uh, various studies uh, where they've put like a, a device inside the vagina that can read arousal mm. and then show the women different, uh, you know, films of different things. And then there's the objective arousal that's recorded. And then the women record their subjective arousal. And there's rarely a match. They're aroused way more than they noticed. Let's see. Yeah. So that's the conditioning. But the good news is, is you can... Uh, bring that back online through, again, practice and understanding what's happening.
0: Yeah. You have a a chapter in your book, Desire, called uh, Knowing Our Desire Song. Yes. Um, Can you speak to that, please?
2: Yeah, well, um, when I started to... This book was funny because I have to just say how it started. I was in Cuba learning Cuban salsa for five weeks. And every morning I would wake up and ask myself, what would my pleasure love today? That was my meditation. Mm-hmm. And I would what, follow that. What, what would, would my pleasure, pleasure love today?
1: Okay.
2: Instead of like, what kind of day am I going to have? Mm. It's just, what would my pleasure, I, I really wanted to contemplate that and I could feel around me, this book wanted to come through, but I had no idea it was going to end up being what it is at that point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So when I finally understood, ah, this is a force of nature it expresses itself very powerfully and uniquely in uh, in very strong ways. I came up with six very particular desire songs, and I called it a song because I feel like all these different desires we have, and they form the symphony of our life. And I, I really love that. I like that the feeling of it. I, I like that it's singing through you and expressing itself, and it has a unique sound. Mm-hmm. And each of us, you know, obviously also has an individual song that's different. So yeah. my de- my desire song for Eros would be different than yours, for example, but we both experience it as Eros. Mm-hmm. So and then I also wanted to broaden desire because often we associate it with either chocolate or sex <laughs> oh, <laughs> or something geez. we want Santa yeah. Claus to bring or something, you yeah. know, but um, so then I was like, well, there's, what are those impulses that are so strong viscerally we barely can't, we can't ignore them. So exa- for example, procreation, when uh, a person and this is true for a man or a woman, because I've had plenty of partners who really wanted children and I didn't. And the urgency in them was big in a masculine body. So um, I started to see that it's not true that it's just women who like, light up and want to have babies there's Mm -hmm. individuals no matter what the gender some really get this call and others do not i never have it's not a song that's sung through me Mm. but when you have that it's almost impossible to ignore it yeah right so true desire speaks very powerfully and it can be scary so eros is one which is sex then love. How many people do we know just ache to have a deep love in their life? They Mm. ache for it. So that's one Um, procreation I just mentioned. So the creation of family. Thriving is a big one. You know, just thriving.
0: Thriving, yeah.
2: Thriving. Like if you're in a situation, say now with all these people still in Australia, I mean they're locked down, Philippines, they're not let out. It's been a long time like i don't even know how many months now Mm -hmm. what keeps them here there is a very strong desire to thrive in those kind of moments and i felt it when i was near death as well there was this urgent desire like i don't care what the doctor said we're gonna live like (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that strength then there's rapture which is the desire to know the divine in whatever form that it comes. And I think it's very important to acknowledge this uh, desire. And then there's contribution, which I think is really important as well, because I see a lot of elder people, once they stop contributing, they decline and often that's it for them. So contribution uh, is insanely important to the human soul.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. The desire for purpose, mm-hmm. or at least the desire for contribution that gives us a sense of purpose, yeah. and, and upon which we then build a, a much more than worthiness, but also a, a, an appreciation for life, and, and which then feeds our, our desire to to thrive even more. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. In that same chapter I mentioned, uh, there's a, a, a sub-chapter called uh, The Peace of Surrendering, mm. and... uh I love the idea that, well, at least the understanding I'm going to call it, that it takes a lot of control to let go of control. <laughs> and yes. uh, That really and truly, it sounds to me like this is what you're coaching people to actually work on.
2: Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: A lot of our hang-ups, especially when it comes to sex, comes in, in the form of us wanting to control how things are supposed to be based on the things that we've been telling ourselves and others about how things are supposed to be. And now not only changing the story, but also letting go of the control that you assumed you have is really and truly where it's at. Um, so, yeah, um, if you can speak to that, that would be, that'd be awesome.
2: Yeah, sure. I would love to. I think, I think that this idea is a, another daily practice. I don't know that there's an attainment of mastery because I think the more we grow, the more we grow. And, yeah. and we think we've gotten to a place. And, and once we think we've gotten to a place, then we're in control again. So it's to me about the direct relationship with the mystery, possibility, mm. that which we don't know. And either we love it and we start to have a love affair with the mystery and we're leaning in, we're curious, and that takes a very particular definition of the mystery because as human beings, traditionally, the mystery equaled death. Mm. And controlling our environment meant survival. However, modern humans are no longer that much at the mercy of all the elements. Now we have homes. We don't just live out in the woods with no shelter. Mm-hmm. We have food sources. We, you know, our children don't die immediately. Like, so there's a lot of elements of modern human that's way, way better than where we come from, but we mm-hmm. still have the biological response to the mystery as like, ooh, I should be afraid of that or I'm uncomfortable with that or I, I need to control whatever this is as quickly as possible and figure it out. Need to figure this out. People say that all the time. I've got to figure it out. I've got to make a plan. I've got. And what I prefer as a practice to it's a sense of allowing. But how can we co-create? How can we meet that mystery and not as a passive Mm doormat, but with that desire that's emerging in us, and then we're meeting it together. And each moment there is this beautiful co-creative. passion energy whatever you want to call it that emerges mm-hmm. i find that can ease the fear of surrender when we choose to lean in and meet the adventure of the mystery
0: discovery the mm-hmm.
2: yes there is a part of our brain as well very interestingly that say in an orgasm when you have a really good one it will shut off your your control center so you mm-hmm. literally lose control and people who are very afraid of letting go can actually block that experience. They actually mm-hmm. stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. And what's unfortunate with that is when we're in those moments, those sexual moments where we finally have that surrender, that letting go, at least in the way the Taoist, the like old sexual ideas were looked at, that's the moment you start to nourish your body nourish your mind nourish your spirit and mm-hmm. there's a rejuvenative quality that can happen yeah. uh, when a person finally has this oh it's okay and then they can really let go
0: it's a bit more the little death as yeah. i think has been translated many many times from the <laughs> french as in an orgasm is you dying just a little and yet reviving yourself tenfold mm. Scrolling through your book here, which, as I mentioned before, I really like. And and one of the last chapters is called Tension is Creative. And you start this chapter with a quote. The starting point of all achievement is desire. So, yeah, desire with a capital D here. Very much at the beginning, in the center, to sustain whatever we are trying to achieve, but also at the very end in order to see through as a life force.
2: Yes, absolutely. Mm. And the reason I brought that up is in our instant gratification society, we have lost the resiliency to hold that creative tension. Mm. And let's even talk because we were talking orgasms. Let's go sexual tension. Why does it need to be resolved? Why do we believe it has to be resolved? Mm. Why can't we just enjoy deep arousal for the sake of feeling switched on? Sometimes it's not appropriate to express our arousal. It's mm-hmm. not the time to have sex, or it's inappropriate uh, arousal. Like maybe it's someone a lot younger, or someone else's partner, or there are many weird ways in which we get aroused, and that's mm-hmm. totally natural and beautiful. Yeah but we're conscious beings. And so we can make the choice. If we're really good at playing with the sexual attention, then we start to enliven ourselves without using shame or guilt or all the ways in which we shut ourselves down. And we just are grateful Mm -hmm. that the inspiration has come in and we feel our whole body reverberating with, with this beauty that's just arisen within us. And then uh, we become safer people for society because Yes, we're, we, we get aroused, we're human, and we have the ability to make a choice. So for me, one of the things that I say around men that I appreciate is this beast that they have, the inner beast. And if it's not owned, I find those men feel more unsafe than the men who really claim that part of themselves. Because now it's claimed, and they choose when it comes out mm-hmm. but when it's left unclaimed it will come out sideways backwards and all kinds of weird ways and that's a big problem i also believe women have a beast too but it, traditionally we often more talk about the, the <laughs> so masculine beast let's talk beast. about
0: it what's your beast like yeah, I think how it's... have you come to have you come yourself to to actually tame that beast or have you no it... i
2: don't want to tame the wild You don't want to tame Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in the wilderness rough and I have seen wild beasts. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've seen wild lions, very close, uh, leopards, uh, hyenas, all kinds of things that would kill me in an instant and could, and there's this deep love of their wildness. That wildness is also in me. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I can love it but then I provide for it. Meaning if we love it, we then have a direct relationship with it. And as I love it, and I directly relate with it, I'm not taming. I'm just knowing when it's time to really let that flow. Mm -hmm. And I do let it flow because there's appropriate moments for that. And when it's time for it to be more of that kind of purring underbelly energetic place but it's not being expressed say in a conference room or wherever maybe it might be maybe it's needed there but sometimes it's not appropriate if we don't have a healthy relationship where we really love that part of ourselves and we're trying to tame this thing we don't want to tame it because um it's the domestication of the human being that's actually harmed us the most now some socialization is perfect we need it we need it we need to stop at stop signs and Politeness is nice, and you know, these kinds of etiquettes are b- make societal living easier. But not taming the essence, not taming you know, the, the fire that burns within you that's moving you to create something. That needs to be left wild. It needs to be informed by nature. And that's why I think people need to spend more time in nature, not less time, because nature will show them This can be, as I said in the beginning, it can be a devastating energy. And sometimes it is overwhelming. But then we learn and we grow from that too. And so I don't believe in sheltering people. I don't also really like this idea of safe spaces. I think we need to make more resilient people who understand nature a little more fully. And they know, okay, if it's pouring rain outside, maybe I need to cover my body a little bit. Or if it's very hot, maybe I need the shade and starting to have an intelligent relationship with the elemental nature of life.
0: And our ability to cope with other human beings is in direct correlation with our ability to cope with ourselves. Yes, Um,
2: Yes. and that's actually a part of my work. So there's an idea of being safe and feeling safe. These are two very different things. And for a lot of women, those wires were crossed at a very young age because the person they trusted violated them. So now their experience, sometimes they're not safe, but they're going to feel safe because of an abuse pattern. And then sometimes they are safe and they don't feel safe. So part of the retraining and the uncrossing of those wires is that solo practice Mm -hmm. where they look around their space. Are they physically safe? Is Is there real safety here for your being? Yes. How are you feeling? I don't feel safe. Okay. So let's start rebuilding trust in yourself, Mm
1: -hmm. trust
2: in your instincts, trust in your intuition, trust in in your knowing, because that's what was eroded. And that's the big work. And I'm shameless about sharing it because I think it's important that everyone come face-to-face with the responsibility they have to stabilize themselves, to give to themselves what is needed, and then, yes, to seek help where help is needed if uh, what they're handling requires that. Yeah. For example, a very traumatic experience, maybe you need some trauma somatic work, or maybe you need someone to speak with that at least can hold what you're saying with no judgment and just mm-hmm. let you express it. Mm-hmm. And I also firmly believe that we are we're very capable. I don't see anyone as broken. I don't care what scenario has happened. It just do not regard people as broken. That's one of the fun, fundamental uh, premises of my work is you're mm-hmm. not broken, so we're not here to fix you.
1: Nice.
2: So if we're not taking the lens of fixing, then what are we here for?
0: Totally. I hear you. So as a trainer, I walk around the same lines when people ask mm-hmm. me, what is it that I could work with or improve on? And I say, well, I, I can't help you with that, but I'm going to tell you what I think you should capitalize on. Because it always comes from a place of you already have quite a lot of good things for you. And if only you were to stand in your fire, yes. stand in your strength, and come from that place of that wild beast that you have inside of you, trusting fully that you're capable of of providing even more than you are right now, just with the tools that you already have, I think you'll be on fire. But let me let me go back to the wild beast aspect. And the reason I, I'm interested in hearing you speak more of that is I, myself, as a man, as... I absolutely love a woman who is willing to make mistakes, to say the wrong thing, to come across perhaps as pretentious in order to somehow establish what is it that she believes at that time would make her happier. I am in love with that. I I love the fucking up. I love the share your chaos with me so that I can really truly be here with you. Um, But that takes guts. It also takes self- awareness and knowledge as to what one wants, um, but it more importantly it takes guts and okay. I, um, I, I guess here I am asking you to somehow you know if you can give us a, what is it that you find yourself saying once you have created a safe space, once you have built a relationship with your clients, once they feel at a place where they can now rewrite their stories, what is it what is the speech that you give them? <laughs> that would make them say, look, you are a tigress, you're a lioness, you're whatever. Mm, yeah, that. Yeah,
2: that. Okay. Uh, well, the f- there's one word really that encapsulates it all, and it's a big part of my work. It's a four letter word.
0: Four letter word. Okay. Does it start with an F?
2: No, it starts okay. with a D. So, dare. Mm. To dare. And I always say that we are the descendants of those who dared, because those who didn't dare didn't make it. Yeah. So we have it in us to dare, but we're suffering from what I call a disease of apathy. Yeah. We're apathetic. In the Taoist Chinese medicine, apathy is a sign of very diminished heart fire.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So we want to increase that fire. We want to increase the enthusiasm, the passion, the the heat a little bit in in people. So. When it comes to, what was the word that you used? Guts, it takes guts. I really like that you said that because a lot of the work is actually with belly breathing and Mm -hmm. and softening the belly and also strengthening the belly so that there's a core strength in there, but then it's also soft. So I like that you said that the enteric uh, system is there, the second brain, which informs everything but even more so the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve receives a lot of its signaling by how we hold our face and the sounds that we make. Mm -hmm. So you were saying, I love a person who, who will take a risk and express something, even if it's wrong, there's a turn on there. You you love this thing. And that's actually a way that we can start rewiring the system is to learn Mm -hmm. how to express that, which we desire, even if we're unsure about it. Why not? Um so, part of the work with with the women there's a few things. One is um, a new orientation. Belonging is a big issue, and if we don't feel like we belong, we feel diminished and people will bargain and not go for what they desire just so they can belong. It is such a fundamental human need to belong.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I thought about it for a long time because I had a a few direct experiences again in the wilderness that shifted me forever and was shifting the women, permanently shifting them with just one wilderness experience. And it was this idea that came through me. It's that we belong to life. So wherever you are, you belong. Whomever you're with, you belong. Because you don't belong to a person, a family, a small community, or even a society. You actually You belong to life. And because you belong to life, you matter. When people believe they don't matter is when they make stupid mistakes. Mm -hmm. They harm others and the environment and themselves.
0: Because because it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. right?
2: They don't matter. It doesn't matter. They They don't realize that every choice they make and don't make has phenomenal impact phenomenal impact just your state of being has a phenomenal impact so there's a reclamation a little bit of mattering Mm -hmm. you exist you you don't need anything else you just exist so therefore you matter and your voice matters and what you desire matters so that's kind of like the way the the speech (laughs) goes in that direction so that you can feel this visceral experience of wait a second if i oriented to belonging to life Mm -hmm. and if i matter and everything i say and don't say has impact how do i choose to live from this moment forward yeah and because some of the women are older they go through deep grief going why did i not know this when i was younger Mm -hmm. and i said well you know now and in the knowing now there's no going back because You've gone from not knowing to knowing and now what are you going to choose? And that's always a question, right? Every day, what will you choose? Mm-hmm. And and that's a, a question I think is really important and I'm going to frame it slightly differently. This is a way to be able to have a more direct relationship with desire and the word love may not work for everyone, but is what would you love in this moment? Mm-hmm. I get that we just argued Or I get that you suddenly are not attracted to me. You've shut down your sexuality right now. I get that. But what would we love right now? And sometimes it's a question just for you. So I'm just going to share a personal experience with my partner. And he'd shut down. And I was wanting great sex. And he was now shut down. And I'm like, "Ah," and I was so pissed off. And I went to the bathroom. And I was like, "Ah." (laughs) and either I could be right or this voice because I trained myself because it's a practice. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get all that. I get this. I get all the story. I get it. But what would you love right now? Like I'd love to make love and feel God. Like that's what I'd love. Mm -hmm. So then what would love do? And then the next obvious thing came to me and I did those things and we ended up having the most deep Mm lovemaking, not immediately, but Mm -hmm. as things unfolded because I tuned into my desire yeah, And I I made that the priority and I was the one that let go of everything. And I mm. showed up in the way that I was fueled to mm. express this desire with no attachment. I just, I'm like, this is what I'd love. And this is how I want to show up because that's what love would do. And that's been my deepest practice around mm. desire right now.
0: Awesome. No, thank you for sharing it. I'm, I'm in love listening to this as well. So look, I, The freedom to express yourself, to say, to make mistakes is beautiful. But I'll I'll tap on something you just said. You came with no attachment. And I would say, not to correct you whatsoever, you came with no entitlement.
2: Uh Aha, yes. And,
0: And that, especially I'll tell you that as a man, empowering yourself by victimizing yourself, I think, is the most, is the biggest turn off ever. And what you've done was to literally empower yourself by empowering the other person as well, and still within that power and not victimizing and not making yourself a victim and not going in there going, I am entitled to the D because that's what I want right now and that's what the beast in me wants right now, so please give it to me. Your power came through the realization that there was something bigger at play and that work was required. And in the end, you got what you wanted, perhaps even more. But mm-hmm. that never came through you taking and in losing. Mm-hmm. And that's mightily, mightily important. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing. I, I love to hear that because I, I, I love maturity, and especially when it comes from a woman who's capable of saying, you know what, yeah, yeah, let me see how I can be love itself right now. And that mm-hmm. comes always, I found. I'm young, 42 only. In a form of how can one empower ourselves oneself in order to empower the other, and then the communion of that makes for something beautiful. But by the time you mm, empower yourself by victimizing yourself and starting to turn into that little girl or little boy who's entitled to things simply because they desire it, mm, that's uh, that's a different story. So. I
2: am so moved uh, with this new frame. I think it's an important frame actually mm-hmm. that, that you have there. And I think that's also one of the sufferings that we're having now yeah. is this sense of entitlement and narcissism. Everything revolves around this and that that's, it, it can be very confronting to look at that, but yeah. then look, we're all messy. Like being a human being is a messy experience. Once I really accepted that, that being human is messy and to love mm-hmm. the mess, I felt liberated. It just felt free to just, you know, be messy um, and have responsibility for my mess and actually fall in love with it and realize, well, it's kind of the mess that makes me unique. Mm -hmm. Um, And people seem to appreciate it uh, because I own my mess and I can, you know, say, oh, here's, here's the whole package. <laughs> it's not perfect, <laughs> but, but here we go. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to say, because what we're leaning toward in this conversation is something very, very important to me. It's another, in, in, like the, the foundation of all this work is sexual sovereignty. It's the sovereignty of your uh, space, that which is yours, what you're born into, is, which is this body, Mm -hmm. And then the personal space around you is your space. And to come into that and to have that, we don't associate sovereignty with individuals. Sovereignty is associated with a king or a queen or a country. But when I experienced, say, the lions in nature, but actually any wild animal, Mm -hmm. they're sovereign. A tiny bird knows exactly what to do all of the time, there is nothing in nature that is not sovereign and we are nature. So it didn't make sense for me to orient anything less. Yeah. And with sovereignty comes responsibility. And with sovereignty, there is no place in sovereignty for adopting a victim stance around anything. Yeah. We can be victimized and this there are things that are out of our control. We can have someone run into our car and we get whiplashed and that's not in our control. That's a victimization experience, yeah. but labeling ourselves then a victim and remaining in that place does massive disservice, massive yes. disservice to and yet to everybody involved. So uh, the women who are currently in my community who are interested in this work are confronted with this idea day in and day out, and yet they love it and they want to be part of it because they understand that they're not really, they're cheating themselves mm. of a very full life experience okay. because of how much they've been oriented to victimhood.
0: Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us, I've got a few more questions for you, but can you tell us um, where can people find you and um, what's, we are now, what, the 2nd of September, 2020, what are, you going, what are your offerings going to be over the next couple of months, couple of years? that women and perhaps even men could check out?
2: Um, Well, a really fun offering coming at the end of September is a group that I've been consulting for called Kama, Mm. and it's an app, and it's going to be for all bodies, so it doesn't matter how you identify. Mm. And it's how to make pleasure a lifestyle and a practice, and I think it's phenomenal. It's got top gynecologists, uh, neuroscientists, uh, somatic therapists, Myself, like all types of different, even a sound voice healer. There's all kinds of different ways in which we're coming in to have deeper relationship with this sensual, sexual part of our lives, Mm. and how and it's simple and basic and ordinary, and yet extraordinary because of it. I'm really excited about it because I think that they're doing a very good job to um, bring something that's ancient and complex and usually reserved to a select few. To make it digestible for a lot more people um, so that's one big project I'm very excited about
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. and um, dare your desire is my website I think everyone should actually start with reading the book so desirethebook.com if they mm-hmm. want to get more information there and what's cool about reading the book is there's a free book club and okay. there's 12 videos where if you see in the book, there's a little flame that shows up sometimes. Yeah. So when that flame shows up, that means I've done a video to go deeper around that okay. section with the community that I had that kind of read the book before it was public. And then um, there's some free meditations and there's actually a free guidebook you can download and make it a very personal journey through the books. So it's um, really good resource to so desirethebook.com mm. and uh, the book club is desirethebook.club.
0: Wow. Awesome. You mentioned the wild. Are you doing, uh, are you planning any more retreats?
2: Well, because of COVID it's been hard to plan. Yeah. So I would love to do some wilderness things next year. So mm-hmm. I usually do them July, August. So it be July and August, 2021, but usually applications for that have to happen by January because there's a lot of things that need to be put. So if it is going to happen, if it looks like the world is a little bit shifting enough where we can do these kinds of live events again, yeah. then um, I will definitely be doing that. And um, the daring project is it's only for women at this point, but it is a, uh, it's a paid membership community that looks at all of this very deeply. Uh, there's live uh, one live kind of Facebook live every week that I do and it's hot right now. The women are on fire and we're going very, very deep in the actual the subject of desire. So the daringproject.com is um, another place. And I love men. so you know just finding me either through YouTube or a different way yeah. where I can support the men, um, right now there seems to be a huge surge of very young men coming toward me asking for help. Um, so I want to be able to provide assistance for anyone who's daring enough to contemplate possibility around this subject mm-hmm. of desire, sexuality, sensuality. Um, they're going to find a clear and uh, feisty cheerleader in me. <laughs> nice
1: one. Yes.
2: Especially so. I find there isn't, there's a lot of voices on like pro-sex and pro-desire, but I find them actually not that inspiring because it's all rhetoric and it's all kind of the same thing in the people saying it aren't that embodied. So I want to encourage the listeners to move towards embodied leaders of any kind, whatever you're, whomever you're drawn to, just make sure they're walking their talk. They're really truly living that which they speak and write about. Because I can't say that, at least in my field, the majority of people are not embodied in a very much embodied <laughs> field I, of work. <laughs>
0: I hear you. You and me both. I've got a couple of personal questions to ask you before I let okay. you go. I feel I know the, the answer to this first one, but I, I want to ask it nonetheless. Saida, what is your favorite word?
2: My favorite word? Mm-hmm. Mm kind of depends on the day, I suppose, but um, what came to mind as soon as you asked was delicious.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yes. I'm not delicious. lying to you, I, I, I started writing before you said it and I, I wrote the letter D. I just, I sensed it was going to be around that.
2: A D Thank word, you. yes, delicious.
0: <laughs> What's, um, what is your favorite job?
2: I don't know if it's a favorite, but it's something I've profound respect for. And mm-hmm. it's the, the unnoticed jobs, the people who take my trash, for example. I am profoundly grateful that there's someone willing to handle that, take mm-hmm. care of that, and keep our streets and towns clean. Um, yeah, the unspoken ones, the, the the landscapers, the garbage picker uppers, the, the people who... Keep this world running, but they're not noticed. That for me is it touches my heart very deeply that they're there, Mm -hmm. and whenever I can, I acknowledge.
0: Yeah, and this has become a lot clearer to a lot of us over the past six months to see what and and who is really responsible for keeping things running. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. What's your favorite skill?
2: Skill. Yeah. Definitely love making as an art form. I mean, oh, okay. I'm going to get explicit for a second, but Please I do. really like a lover who has so much control over his penis mm-hmm. that he can have it expand and contract at will through his breath. Because what happens inside in my body when that's happening is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, it's incredible. So that sort of, ability to be so deep in his own body and so in control of his breath and what's happening in his pelvic floor that it transmits currents of energy almost feels electrical um i have to say that would be a a favorite skill
0: (laughs) (laughs) can you talk to us about something that you know for sure oh gosh i know and, and again, you can be as explicit as you want.
2: Well, what I know for sure is uh, I absolutely love orgasm and mm-hmm. that it's something I can definitely self-generate and do so mm-hmm. regularly every day. That's something that's kind of certain. It's it's I've not had an issue with that since birth. My mom said I came out of the womb partaking in that and... Um, was very sexually active as a child. They just had to give me boundaries. Yeah. So I think that's always been there. That's the foreshore of, of my own pleasure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Tr- trusting in it. And, and even when it's not there, trusting that. You know, being in, in relationships where when it's, it's not there and going, well, wait a second, this is vital to me. Where is it? And making choices around that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. And the opposite of that, can you tell us something that you're not sure about? Mm
2: -hmm. Like everything?
0: (laughs) (laughs) All the rest of it.
2: Uh, We're not sure about. I'm not sure that it's that useful for us to use labels, especially when it comes to defining ourselves. Um, Especially sexual labels. I think that they're not intrinsically that useful. And they're limiting,
0: but you do believe in definitions, such I believe
2: a... in definition, yeah. as it creates reality. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe it in terms of
0: immovable um, labels.
2: Yes, it's like it's like something that he has to keep evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it's an unsure because maybe there are some constants, but if not experience that I feel like the things I thought were sh- certain have become uncertain. The Mm. things I thought would be permanent are not permanent. Um, Maybe uncertainty is the one thing that I can be sure of.
0: Last question for me. Something you, surprisingly, it will be to people who know you fairly well, perhaps people that you work with, very good friends or family, something you don't know anything about that would surprise (laughs) people who know you listening to you right now.
2: You know, it's funny, but I, I feel like I don't know enough about cooking. Like some people just have all the flavors and they can mm-hmm. put stuff together.
0: But I, would, would, Sorry to cut you. Would people be surprised by that? Because if you go around. Them, yeah, because look, they, they, know they, cook, they everyone knows eat. I
2: cook for myself. So I people see, think okay. I'm a really good cook and they actually like what I make, but it's a very see. small range. Oh, and I actually feel insanely insecure in the kitchen. Like I, I, I just wouldn't know. I don't know, people do magic in kitchens and I don't understand it whatsoever. So that's one thing. Um, There's something else that I, politics, it's just boring as batshit for me. So Mm -hmm. I really don't have a lot of desire to, I don't understand it. It seems like it doesn't work. Uh, It seems like it's just a lot of weird ideas and not a lot of effectual um, premises. And so I'm not, versed in politics i don't pay attention to politics and i think people think i do
0: thank you I, for that i don't yeah <laughs> that makes sense that makes sense look i have said this was going to be my last question but actually it's not i'm realizing that i've asked you a lot of questions and i've taken quite a lot from you but i haven't let you ask me anything in case you were mm-hmm. curious so i just would like to open the space for you perhaps to yes to i would
2: love that thank you for the you. permission well, since you've read the book, desire, and it's been something that you seem curious about, I would love to know what, if there, if anything, was kind of an, an aha that was enough that it lit you up, like you actually felt uh, a reframe happen that allowed for like your body to light up. Mm-hmm. If that happened, it may not have happened, but if there was, what was it, and and give us a little more meat around that moment. I hear you.
0: Quite honestly, it wasn't about my body, but it was it was through my mind, and my intellect. Because, as you know, I am tra- I am currently training as a psychotherapist, and one of the areas of interest I want to delve into is counselling, but also psychosexual health, and especially when it comes to men. Also, I love to work with mm. men and black men in particular. Mm. And for me, reading your book was a case of this is beautiful and this is inspiring me to start laying the foundations with my little experience. And that is, so it's fired that side. And then I got excited physically because I've been struggling to get on with all of my essays and quote, you know, some of the stuff that I got to do that I find extremely boring. So it's, it's, it's kind of giving me some juice to, all right, get that qualification Get, um, get going, so to speak, so that you can then go on and advertise yourself and really go out there and actually help the people and walk with the people that you want to walk with and, and be of service. Um, so it, it, it has, over the past couple of days, ignited that again as oh, nice. a of you know, service phase similar to yours in, in relation to psychosexual health, uh, in relation to self-awareness, in relation to somatic and kinesthetic awareness, and kinetic intelligence both around sexual organs but also everything else Um, Mm. sex is a massive massive part I believe of our human nature of my life there are so many other things as well and I do feel that now I have enough lived experience to speak from a place where even if I get it wrong I am going to speak to you from a place and I'm going to do my best to coach you and work with you from a place of, I have experienced that. I am willing to guide you through something that I either done myself or I am going through myself and I am confident enough to just go. And I'm also going Mm -hmm. to charge you for it. You know, that place of um, professional and personal maturity where, yes, I feel like I belong in this field. Mm-hmm. And I think I can, I can do a good job.
1: Fantastic. So
0: um, that's, that's the big one for me reading this book was a case of I can't wait to be you, basically. I can't wait to have written this book and be invited to, on podcast to speak about whatever I've, I've decided to delve deeper into.
2: Mm, I love that. Um, so that's the desire of contribution.
1: Yeah.
2: And when you can tap into that, the boring essay. Everything becomes infused with it. So mm-hmm. I because I remember writing the PhD was so boring some things like on ethics. Blah, blah. But I actually made Same, it kind yeah. of exciting because I decided to be very creative. I was like, well, here's where I'm going, why I'm going.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I was very creative. And I actually got a phone call from the dean of the university going, That is the most creative <laughs> paper we have ever read on ethics. On ethics. <laughs> Um, and it made it enjoyable. But, uh, but you know, so there are ways in which we also can bring that creative tension into the things that are not go. so nice. And and when we set that intention, it enlivens everything. So, oh. yeah, I love that. I can't wait to read your book.
0: <laughs> can't wait to write it. <laughs> 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 thank you very much for asking. Yeah. yeah. Saida, so, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for writing this book and for doing the work that you do. And, um, if I can be of any assistance, you got my number.
2: Yes. And I am renaming really it. And same with you. As you're learning more and more, especially around psychosexuality, it's, you know, just reach out. It'll be amazing.
1: Mm. And I
2: want to thank your listeners for being daring, for acknowledging that they do have desire and it shows up in different ways and that there's a worthiness in exploring that, a worthiness of claiming that and because that's how we all get to be part of this incredible fabric called life together.
0: I hope you have learned something here and that you get to teach it. Go to rafan.co.uk to subscribe to my newsletter and remember that when one teaches, to learn. So do teach and learn as much as you can.